0: Say this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, Ghost. born of the Virgin Mary. Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Pilate. He He was crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, he rose again. Oh, I forgot to take him into death, didn't I? Let's say this. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He, dead, and buried. he descended into death. Descended into death. And, on and on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven. And, right right and right now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, God's Holy Church, the forgiveness of saints, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. That's on y'all, that's on y'all when y'all distract me. I got distracted and messed up the prayer. It's only a 2,000-year-old prayer y'all made me mess up, no big deal. I do blame y'all. I'd like for you to think of all of the things that you put hard work into. I um, I ran a uh, my f- I, f- I ran a I started running triathlon several years ago, and I decided I was going to do something just ridiculously stupid. Uh, last year, I was going to run an Ironman. Just so that we're all clear, that's a lot. Um, I had to swim over a mile, had to bike fifty-six miles, and then I had to run thirteen miles. In one race. But I didn't just show up that day and say, Woo, let me stretch out. Let's get ready to go. I trained for two years. Two years. I would. Now, I will tell you this. I was inconsistent at times. There would be a a week that would go by, and I wouldn't do anything, and then I would go hard for a week, and then I would be off for a couple weeks. Then I'd be sick a week. I mean, over the course of two years, a lot of stuff happens. I went on vacation, didn't do anything, but when it got down to the last about six months, I was extremely consistent, and I put in tons of work. I would go home on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights was my bike night. I would go home after hanging out with you guys, and I had this little thing called a bike trainer. It turned my bicycle into a stationary bike, and I would put it in front of the television, and I would ride for about two and a half hours after Wednesday night service. And I just, I'm just telling you, my legs were so strong, and I still had a gut, and I was like, man, I need a gut workout, (laughs) but... But I worked hard. I worked really hard. And when it came time for the day for me to do it, I showed up and I had put two years of preparation in. Think of all of the things that we put our time into and our preparation in. Some of you guys are getting ready to take your ACT for the first time or especially those that are taking it for the second time. You, how many of you have ever taken an ACT class before? Yeah, a handful of you, like pr- probably a fourth of you, taking an ACT class you put in hours and hours of work just so that you can make a good grade on one test. And that one test, the reason we put so much work into it is because it, it primarily, it is one of the primary variables that will determine where we go to college. So it's going to be tough. You ought to be used to it by now, Natalie. Come on. I just spit literally in her face. And I don't care. So there are some of you that are taking ACT class, prep classes. You put all of this time prep for one test. Those of you that play sports, that you want to excel in sports, think of all the camps and all the private lessons that you do and all of the practices that you do. I played, I played um, from, the, from the time I was five years old, I played baseball until I was 22 years old every year from five years old to 22 years old, just so that I could be good. Just so that, I would, so that I would excel. I wanted to be good at baseball and I worked my tail off at it. I worked hard. I would play fall ball. I would play spring ball. I would, I, I, we traveled. We did all kinds of stuff just to be good because I wanted to be good in the game. Put tons of preparation into it. Those of you that that want to learn a foreign language. You take, how many of you have ever taken um, anything beyond Spanish or French 2? Like you've taken a, like a part 3 or a part 4. Anybody ever taken one of those classes? Like a Spanish 3 or a Spanish 4 or a French 3 or a Latin 3? How many of you, are a Russian 3? Anybody ever taken more than two years? If you've taken more than two years of a foreign language. How many of you have taken at least two years of a foreign language? There they come. I guess that's required now, isn't it? But think about that. Think about all of the time that you spend. If you, th- if you consider it, listen with me. If you think about it, you're, a, you're, you're about an hour for 180 days a year. So you do two years of this language, and you're spending well over 300 hours learning a language. And that's not even counting homework. Some of you will go home and do another 10 to 30 minutes a day. So you're doing three to five hundred hours to learn a foreign language. Why? Because obviously it's required. But many of you in this room took it because you wanted to learn the language. I want to know how to do this. I want to speak this. And you prepare. Some of you, have you ever prepared for like a once in a lifetime vacation? Like like you plan it out. I've got some friends right now that are on a one hundred day vacation cruise that they planned two years ago. And they put off, they just, they prepared for it. They got excited. They looked at all the ports that they were, they were doing a worldwide cruise stopping in, um, I think it's like 70 different places around the world, every continent, but Antarctica. And they prepared for several years just to do this. Some of you who have careers, think about some of the careers that you're going to have that's going to take you. You might want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a therapist or a school teacher, and you might spend anywhere between four and ten years preparing for this job, this career, preparing because you want to excel. You want to be good at it, and something happens. I don't know what's in our brain that we believe that we can walk down an aisle And say one phrase and believe that everything is ready for us and it's going to be a magical experience. Just because you say, I do. Ladies, just because the guy gets down on a knee and says to you, I love you, I want to marry you, doesn't mean he's ready to do any of that. Talk is cheap. Preparedness. Preparation is what matters. Ladies, just because you go, "Ah, yes, doesn't mean you're ready. There's more to it than a yes. And there's more to it than an I do. There is serious soul work that you've got to do to be successful in the most important relationship you will ever have for the rest of your life. I've told you guys this. Your life expectancy is over 100 years old. Most of you will get married in your 20s. Do the math. You are planning on being married for over 75 years. And I just want to tell you, if I'm going to spend two years preparing to go on a a once-in-a-lifetime vacation, how much time do we need to spend to be in the most important relationship in our life that will dictate who we are, who we become, who our children become, who our grandchildren become. These relationships matter. And just because somebody gets down on a knee and says, I love you, doesn't mean that they're ready. So tonight, I'm gonna give you the hard sell. Tonight, I'm gonna challenge you and I'm gonna give you everything that I got tonight. And I've been, I've been gentle. I wouldn't necessarily say last week it was real gentle. But I have been gentle. Tonight, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you hard. And I'm going to believe every word that I say. And I want you to trust me. Trust me. I'm not asking you to see me as your dad. But I am asking you to see me as a loving father telling you, I think this is what's best. And I'm going to challenge you hard tonight. I want you to listen. Because I love you and I believe so, I believe, I cannot overemphasize how important the person that you spend the rest of your life with, how important that decision is. It is paramount. It is of utmost importance. There is no greater decision you will make outside of following Jesus in your entire life. And we've got to realize that it is more, it's more than just a simple Yes, I do. I love you. Good luck. Tonight, I want to challenge you, and it's very simple. Here's my challenge to you. I want you to take at least a year and dedicate it completely to getting prepared. That's it. That's my challenge. Take at least a year with no relationship, and dedicate your life to being prepared. If you have not done that, and you are in a relationship right now, yes, that is what I'm saying, and that's my hard sell for you. So let's talk about, what in the world would I do in that time? Like, why would that matter? Why would that be a big deal? For those of you not in a relationship, you're like, yes, I choose this time, this year, this is my year. (laughs) I get it. I dedicated one year of my life to God and said, I will not date. I will not, do, I will not pursue relationships. This is what I'm going to do. I want to give you four challenges of what to do. And it is my hard sell. It is my pitch to you. I'm telling you. It is, I'm, t- I'm telling you. I really I understand how big a deal this is. But I made it. I made the decision. And I was intentional. Some of you are like, I've never dated. So, do, so does that count? Is that like retroactive? No. <laughs> what I'm telling you is. An intentional year, and we're going to do four things in this year. Here are our four commitments. This is what we're dedicating our life to. Number one, you got to address the past. It's time to address the past. We come from some deep brokenness, guys. There's not a person in this room that is not jacked up. You are broken. You You are broken much more than you realize that you are. We come from brokenness, we are broken you might come from a perfect family. I I, listen, I grew up and I don't know if I could have come from a better family. I came from the most functional family that I have ever known. There is not a more functional family than the one that I came from. And I still ended up jacked up. I still ended up broken. I still had all kind of crap that I had to deal with. And so one of the things that I want to challenge you to do is have you ever addressed your past? Have you ever addressed the brokenness in your life? Have you ever addressed those things in your life that you've never, there are some of you in this room that don't even realize that it's there. And I just want to assure you it's there. It's down in here. And there's stuff that Jesus wants to talk to you about and work with you through. There is grace that Jesus wants to extend you, but you have to admit that you need it first. It's impossible to receive grace on something that you don't understand that you have. And so until you say, there's a brokenness here, I have a brokenness, I have an insecurity, I have a problem, I have an eating disorder, I have a cutting problem, I have a pornography problem, I have these problems. Until you address this crap, you're never going to allow Jesus to extend his grace to you. And all of those things that I said, he gives grace freely. He pours it, lavishes it out upon you. And until you feel the grace of God over your broken past, we might need to take a break. God wants to pour grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. You have lived. Listen to me. The more broken you are, the more addicted you are to shame, to guilt, and toward an, an angry God. And it's so counterintuitive. The more broken you are, the more addicted you are to shame. And so until we admit our brokenness and we allow Jesus to say to us, I Absolutely love you with an everlasting love, and there is nothing you can do, there is nothing you have done, there is nothing you 're in the middle of doing that changes that until you give him the opportunity to say that you don 't give him permission to give you grace guys i I, I know what 's in this room. I know the brokenness that's in this, that's in this room, and we've gotta give Jesus an opportunity to pour out his absolute mercy and love and forgiveness. You've got to give him a chance to do it. There is nothing. I was I grew up, um, I grew up in such a way that I I I was very um I was very rigid. I know some of you know me in the last 10 to 15 years, and it might be a little harder to see because I try to speak love and grace so much, but I was extremely rigid. I remember I was in my youth group one time, and uh, we had this kid that was coming to our youth group, and he had no reason to be there. Like his parents didn't make him come, and, and like many of you, your parents don't make you show up, you just show up, which is unbelievable. Some of you in here, your parents are like, get your tail in the car, stop telling me you got, you're, you're sick or you got diarrhea or whatever, you're going to church. I had to say that because Amber left. So, um, one of the things, so, I was made to go to church. I remember asking my dad one time if I could go to my girlfriend's church, and he said, you have a church. And I was like, I know, but I want to go to my girlfriend's church. He says, no, you're going to go to church. I was like, I know, I get it, but I want to go to her church. He goes, no, 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 that's not church. You go to this church. So I was in church all of the time, and I grew up um, extremely rigid personally. My parents didn't put this on me, but I grew up rigid and legalistic, and I'll tell you a little bit about what that means. I I remember I I was with one of my friends in youth group, and this, this kind of this legalistic anger arose in me one day. And he was out just doing stupid stuff, just doing dumb stuff, out, out just partying and doing dumb stuff. And I remember coming to him one time, and I thought I was coming to him in, 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 in God. I thought I was coming to him like the voice of the Lord, like a prophet. And I looked at him. His name was Jeremy. He was my friend. His name was Jeremy, and it was easy for me to remember his name. And I said, Jeremy, man, I'm just going to tell you right now. You need to make a decision, you either, need, you either need to stop screwing around or stop coming to church. That's what I told him, and he didn't come to church anymore. I kicked him out of church. I was like seventeen. I booted him out of church. I will tell you this he's doing good now I, I didn't ruin his life. He probably had to work through some of that brokenness. <laughs> um, um, but that was the voice, this rigid voice that I heard. And I remember being so hard on things and so rigid about things. And, and something happened when I, when I was somewhere between 28 and 30, somewhere between about 12 and 15 years ago. God rocked me with grace. He just rocked me with this idea that I don't know what it is about. We don't believe that the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the joy of Christ is strong enough to encourage people to come to Jesus. So instead, what we use is these fear tactics like hell and God's going to be mad at you and you're gonna, God's going to judge you. How, many of you. how many of you have ever thought, I don't want you to lift your hand, but how many of you ever have had this thought before? I haven't been in church in a long time. God, I, I, I'm scared to go back. I'll probably, I'll probably get struck by lightning if I walk through the doors of the church. Anybody ever heard that or seen that or thought that before? In what universe does that sound like Jesus at all? And God rocked me with his grace and addressed my past of legalism and rigidity and just, and he began to address some of the other brokenness. And now I do my very best to speak the love of Christ in everything that I can. I want to tell you something. And I want you to hear me. And I, and I mean what I'm about to tell you. Because I want you to know that the love of Jesus and the way of Jesus is the best way. You can live like hell. You can run around and screw around and do stupid things and destroy your life. And it cannot change the way that God feels about you. He is absolutely head over heels in love with you. And he doesn't. it doesn't affect him. We have this idea that it, that it hurts him. It doesn't hurt God the way that you live. What hurts God is when he hurts for you because he knows you're hurting yourself. But it doesn't change the way that God feels about you. If your sin, if your brokenness could change the way that God felt about you, then your brokenness would be God. God doesn't live the way you want to live. Live stupid. Live like hell. Do dumb things. It's going to destroy your life. But it's not going to change the way God feels about you. The way of Jesus the countercultural way of Jesus, the love your enemies, to turn your other cheek, the, the give yourself, the sacrifice yourself, to take up your cross, that way of life is the best way. And it has been f- it has been found true and trustworthy. I don't have to scare you into heaven. I I hope the w- whole world goes to heaven. I hope all everybody goes. I hope everybody goes. I don't need hell to scare you. I don't have to stand up here and say, what are you going to do when you die tonight? I don't need those ploys. The best way is the life that Jesus has laid out for you. It is the way of truth. It is the way of life. And it is abundant life. It is the best life. Come follow me. Man, I choose to follow Jesus. And when we address our past, what we do is we say, Jesus, I was was an idiot. I was a screw up. I did stupid things. And Jesus says, oh, no. But I was with you the whole time, and I love you, and it's going to be okay. Let me heal your hurts. That's what Jesus does. Number two thing that I want you to do is this. you got to break some bad habits. Some of you have some terrible habits in this room. There's a part of me that doesn't want to call these habits because habits feels like something that's small and that can be easily broken. But there are some of you that have eating disorders. There's some of you in this room that cut yourselves. There are plenty of you in this room that have pornography problems. It's time for you to break the habits and you've got to let Jesus help you do that. Take a break and say, Jesus, I I," listen. What you do is not what's wrong with you. What's wrong with you is what causes you to do those things. Do you you hear that? I I want you to, I want you to hear what I'm saying. What you do is not the problem. When you cut yourself, that's not the issue. When you're addicted to pornography, that's not the issue. We have an eating disorder, that's not the issue. That's the symptom of the deep issue. And these habits that God wants you to break, he wants to get to, the, to those places in your life where he addresses the deep stuff. And you've got to give him space to do it. And I just want to tell you, I've done this a long time. It is extremely hard to address those issues in a relationship, distracting you from it's keeping you from addressing them at all. Some of you have have um, have have um, your dating relationship, your romantic relationship, has caused you to 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 to, um, to do some things inside of that dating relationship that's unwise and unhealthy for you. So how are you going to address that inside of it? The third thing is this, one of the best things you can do in this time is take a break and set some real standards. What are, gonna, what are your standards going to be? Some of you in this room have never once thought about what are my standards for being in a dating relationship. It's never crossed your mind. You just jump in. I remember my very first dating relationship. It never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind. What am I willing to do? What am I unwilling to do? What am I willing to do physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically? Like where are my boundaries? Set some standards. What are your standards going to be? And I'm not just talking about physical standards, although I am certainly talking about physical standards. What are you willing to do? Who are you willing to be? I'm also talking about your standards for relationships. If you're in a relationship and the only person you ever hang around or ever want to be around is your significant other, that's unhealthy. It's not good for you. It's bad. I dated a girl when I was a junior in high school. And um, look, I, I've just always been a people person. And I love to be around lots of people. And as as we got further and further, we dated for just a little over a year. As we got further and further into our relationship, she, would, um, sh- she, she wouldn't go out with friends anymore. Before I knew it, I was the only friend that she had. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a 17-year-old kid, right? And so I, I just felt all of this pressure... And she would say, "I say, hey, I'm going to go out with my friend friends this weekend." And she would go, "Okay, y'all, y'all know that what that's called? That's called passive aggressive." She said, "Okay." I say, "What?" Because I was ready to pick a fight at that point. I just, "What? You go out with one of your friends? No, I think I'm just going to sit at home. What are you going to do? I don't know." So, so that was healthy. Um, so what kind of standards are you going to have? How are you going to keep good relationships? How are you going to do other things? How are you going to learn who you are? Too often, man, I had a friend of mine in high school. We were seniors in high school. The best baseball player I ever played with my, in, in my entire life. Had a couple friends that signed D1. Had a, uh, two friends that played professional baseball. This was the best baseball player I'd ever been played with in my entire life. Ever. And he started dating this girl. And stopped caring about baseball, which is fine. Maybe baseball wasn't a big deal to him. But he stopped playing, went and played one year at, at some little college and quit and, and never cared about it ever again. Because what he did was, is he, and by the way, they never stayed together because that's not the way it works. You rarely stay together. But he, he, um, what he did was, is he, uh, he allowed this dating relationship to take a priority in his life that superseded him discovering who he was. Like, who are you? Do you know how incredibly hard it is to discover who you really are inside of a relationship? It's so hard. If you've ever been in a relationship, watch what happens. It happens all of the time. If someone sees you, they ask you, the very first thing they ask, they ask you where your significant other is. So I come up to Jared. I say, first thing I do, hey, Jared, what's up? Where's Morgan? Very first thing he said she's in he said she's in utah um i uh but that's what happens because what happens is is we become we we get this new identity and the identity is not jeremy as a person or tiffany as a person it becomes you two it's not jared who is jared and who is morgan. It's jared and morgan they become a new identity which is awesome when you get married because that is a new identity you want to have you want to be. We are one. We are a couple. That's what God has done. He's knit us together. But it's a terrible thing to be when you're 15. Do you have any idea how hard it is for you to discover who you are and what you're about and what God put on the inside of you to be when you've already been, you've already been yoked together with somebody else and you have an identity of a couple? You need to be a single. You don't even know who you are. You don't even know your quirks yet. You don't even know you're stupid yet. Was it it last week I talked about embracing your stupid, just embracing the quirky, stupid part of who you were two weeks ago? Anyway, you don't even know, if you don't know how you're dumb yet, if you don't know what your quirky stupidity, like if you don't know those parts of you, you don't know who you are yet. Because you're all goofy in some way. If you don't know how you're goofy, if you just do everything that everybody else does, that's not you. If you have the same social media everybody else has, if you watch the same shows that everybody else does, if you do the same extracurricular things that everybody else does, you haven't figured you out yet. Because you don't like all that crap. If you listen to the same music that everybody else does, if you have not found your own quirky, this is me identity, you haven't found you yet. You haven't discovered you yet. Because you are unique. You are the only you on the planet, and if there is nothing that shows that you are unique, then you haven't found you yet. Does that make sense? If everything you do is like everybody else, then you are not you yet. You are everybody else. And you cannot find you inside of them. You can't find them. And so what are your standards? What are your standards going to be for how you are going to continue to find you inside of them? How are you going to do that? It's got to be part of how you set a standard. How am I going to continue to find me inside of us? And if you haven't thought that through, then you need a break so that you can. The last thing is this. I I, I know it's simple. But you want to be prepared? You want to be prepared for life? Make a commitment to Jesus' church to the body of Christ, and never let that commitment go ever. It is the utmost importance. It is the highest priority. It is number one, serve Jesus, love his church. There's something that happens both naturally and supernatural in this setting right here. Something supernatural that happens. Guys, let me push you a little bit. Let me pastor you just a little bit. Those of you that come here only on Wednesday nights and you sleep in on Sunday mornings and this is the only thing that you do that has any spirituality to it, let me just challenge you. You need to get up and come to church on Sunday mornings. Those of you that come on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights and that's the only thing you do in any type of Christian spirituality, you need to come to Soak. Those of you that come to Sunday morning and come to Wednesday night and come to Soak and that's the only thing you do in any type of Christian spirituality, you need to start doing your devotions in your Bible. Those of you that do your devotions in your Bible and come to church on Sunday morning and go to soak and come to church on Wednesday night, you're in a great spot. You're doing good. That's a great, you have, put, you have positioned yourself in a place where Jesus can talk to you, he can heal you, he can challenge you, and he can change you. Listen to me. You have positioned yourself where Jesus can talk to you, he can challenge you. And he can change you. Where is Jesus going to talk to you if he's not going to talk to you through his body? Tell them I'm busy. I'm right in the middle of preaching. (laughs) Hey, tonight I want to do something for you that I like to do. So that's it. So that's my challenge. That's my challenge to you. That is my challenge to you tonight. I'm going to do something tonight that that I've done now for 20 years that I love to do. The first time anybody ever gave them back to me, it was in, um, it was 10 years ago. I'd been giving out bubbles for about 10 years and nobody had quite gotten old enough to get married and give them back to me yet. So what I did was, as I said, I began to say to teenagers, Hey, y'all focus. I said to teenagers, I said, Hey, tonight I want to give you these bubbles. And what, what I'm doing when I give them to you is I'm telling you, I believe in you. I love you. I believe your relationships matter. Keep this on your mantle. Keep this on your, on your bathroom counter. Keep this on your end table next to your bed. Keep this on your bedside table. Keep it where you see it all of the time. So because what this does, these bubbles right here represents that God has a best plan for you in your relationships. He's got a brilliant plan for it. And if you'll follow his way, if you'll trust him, if you'll give him this, if you'll meet his challenge for you in your life, he's going to meet you and he's going to consistently help you in your relationships. And so keep it. So I began to give them out. And so I was I was doing this wedding about 10 years ago. I, I, I will never forget it because it was very mean what they did to me. I was standing and I was, I was standing, I was reading my, I read my sermon for my wedding because I just don't have it memorized because I'm so, guys, I'm, I'm terrible at weddings. I just cry at all of them. I can't help it. I'm so, I'm such a sap. I'm such a romantic in the, in the, the big sense, like the romanticism type big. So anyway, I'm standing there and I'm reading my sermon, you know, God, uh, Jesus and all that kind of stuff, you know, that you say in a wedding and, um. I'm with two of my kids there, Nathan and Betsy. They're getting married. And so I'm standing there, and they say, in the middle, the whole sanctuary is filled. The whole bottom f- floor is filled. And I'm standing right there. And they're standing like this. Like, you, like, uh, um, Help me for a minute, Jared. Come stand right here. And uh, come, come here, Natalie. Come stand right here. Um, yeah. This doesn't mean anything. Um, they're standing. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I just want you to see what's going on. Um, so what happens is I'm standing just like this. And they look at me, and Nathan has a tear in his eye, and Betsy has a tear in her eye, and he says, we have something for you. And I went, huh? and I knew what he was pulling out. And he pulls out of his pocket, and his hands are shaking. And he hands me, he thank you all, perfect. That's what I wanted you all to see. He hands, me, he hands me two sets of bubbles. Now, what had happened, what you need to know is what had happened six years before that, when I was their youth pastor, is I had said to them, Make a commitment, do things Jesus' way. And one day you get married, I want you to give those to me on your wedding day. and I don't want to blow them at your wedding. I just want to everybody's gonna be throwing like rice and bird seed. And I'm just gonna be like <laughs> And so people are gonna have like sparklers and stuff, and I'm gonna be like <laughs> And so so no one had ever done it yet. I've been doing it for ten years. No one had and, and they stand there and and it and it just punched me in the emotional gut. I'm talking about and I went. And I just, I I said, I put my head down. I cried for a second. And I took it and I was like, oh my God, you're killing me. You are absolutely sabotaging this moment. (laughs) And so then I told the audience what had just happened. I said, I want you to know what happened. They gave me their bubbles. (laughs) And uh, so I want to tell you um, the romantic in me, but also the dad in me and the youth pastor in me, all three of them. It's the trifecta the dad, the youth pastor, and the romantic, you hand me a set of bubbles on your wedding day and you will wreck me. So I would, so just like all girls that love sappy movies and love to cry at movies, I am that. Give me the wedding bubbles, let me suffer. <laughs> so tonight, what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you these wedding bubbles through your small group leader. So here's what I'm going to ask that you do. Here's what I'm telling you. You're, you're making a commitment this is all you're doing. You're making a commitment to say, I want to I want to do things God's way. That's it. That's all you're saying. They're going to hand it to you, and their commitment to handing them to you is they are saying to you, I love you, and I believe in the grace of Jesus over your life and over your relationships, and I'm praying for you, and, and maybe they'll make the same commitment. But wherever you are, if I can be there on that day, if I'm not marrying you myself, by that I mean officiating, people are like, oh my God, was he a Mormon? So what I mean is, <laughs> what I mean is, that's probably not fair, but um, if I'm not officiating it myself, give it to me. I have, a, I have a jar in my office with a bunch of them in there where people have given them to me. I've now collected about 15 or 20, which is amazing. So um, uh, this is what I want you to know about the wedding bubbles. I believe, I believe um, that the most important decision you're going to make, the most important relationship decision you're ever going to make in your life is going to be who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And God, if you 'll give God the space, the time, if you 'll give him the, the the permission to talk to you and to heal you and to help you set boundaries and to, and to, and to change you and to challenge you, if you 'll give him that space, you have set yourself up as the best way you possibly can to succeed. Trust me, trust me. I know what it 's like to succeed in marriage. I know what that means. I know what it means to make a commitment to someone and say, I'm going to love you for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, in good times and in poor. I know what that means. And I know the only reason that I followed through with my vows is because I prepared. Prepare. Trust me. It is the best sacrifice you'll ever make. Leaders, if you'll, come, if you'll come up here with me, all I want you to do is in just a second, the leaders are going to be here. I'd like for every one of you in this room, every one of you in this room, to just come stand in front of your leader. Let them lay their hand on you and pray for you for a second and hand you a set of bubbles. And that's it. Daniel, um, just put something on and then come on up here and you you come on up. But I got I think I got everybody or all my leaders here. If not, I'll I'll jump in place for them. But if you'll stand with me this if you'll stand with me tonight, stand with me tonight. And um, hey, stay. Let's keep this. A, let's keep this still a sacred moment. This is this is important. It's important to me. So let's keep this a sacred moment. Let me pray for you. And as I'm praying, I want you to come up in line. All of you stand in line. Some of you're like I don't even know what the heck he's talking about. Come get some bubbles anyway. It's just some bubbles. Jesus, I, I believe you love teenagers out just an ununderstandable an way. You just, it's incomprehensible. You love them. You love their relationships. And you have, God, you have the wisdom for them. You have the wisdom for them. All they've got to do is ask. Tonight we ask. Amen. Go ahead and come on down. Get some bubbles. I sure do love you guys.